Hi, Strengths fans. Welcome to Obey Your Strengths Season 2. I have been waiting for this season for months. I've got more stories of strengths leaders and evangelists obeying their strengths. I've got leaders coming onto the show who are talking about finding their own personal fulfillment in their careers, as well as helping others discover their strengths and what they're great at. I can't wait for you to hear them. One of my favorite parts about season one was hearing feedback from listeners. So I invite you to please reach out to me and let me know what your favorite parts of the Obey Your Strengths podcast are because that influences me on what I will do in the future. So please share your feedback. You can find me at kathykirsten.com or obeyyourstrengths.com and let me know what you like to hear and who you like to hear from in season two. We talk to startup founders who are building world-class employee cultures, executives who have built entire careers on their unique strength set, and we even take strengths outside the walls of work with a marriage and family therapist. You're going to want to subscribe, y'all, because season two is here. Welcome to Obey Your Strengths with Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, Kathy Kirsten. I'm thrilled that our guest today is Cindy Lowe. She is the owner and event strategist at Red Velvet Events. She's also an international speaker and the recent Amazon best-selling author for her book called Behind the Red Velvet Curtain, Build and Run the Event Planning Business of Your Dreams. Cindy has embedded StrengthsFinder into her organization at Red Velvet Events in Austin, Texas. And one of the coolest things I've ever seen done is that she has put in strengths coaching as a part of a employee reward program. So if you earn enough points through their employee rewards program, you could actually purchase strengths coaching. So what's really cool about that is every once in a while, I get to talk to some of her most rock star employees and help them understand and embrace their strengths. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, I am so excited to talk to you. I have been planning and preparing for this interview for weeks now because there's so much I want to ask about your top five and and the way that you utilize your strengths within your organization at Red Velvet Events. And, um, you know, I'm just thrilled that you have agreed to be on the podcast with us today. Cindy, I start out every podcast with asking about the same question. (laughs) What is your top five? And can you tell us a little bit about how each of your top five themes uh, manifests itself in you? Absolutely. So my current top five are focus, analytical, command, restorative, and individualization. Wow. Interesting side story, though, Mm -hmm. is that I had taken it with you maybe about a year Mm -hmm. right before, Mm -hmm. and I had a slightly different top five, and only three of them kept, and then the others had shifted around, because two that I thought would at least stay in the top five but are kind of moved around are achiever and futuristic. So I was a little bit surprised to see, and also competition, I guess, so there were three of them, yeah, that those got moved out. Wow, interesting. Let's so. definitely talk about that in a minute. But tell me about your your current, the focus, analytical, command, restorative, individualization. How are those things uh, manifesting themselves in you? I think right now the reason why these are appearing as my top five is because I am at a point where we are what I'm calling our middle school years of the business. We've mm-hmm. been in business for 16 years. Uh, we've done a great job. The team is working uh, in fact, the team is really running the events without me, which is fantastic. However, of course, because I do have that competitive side of me, I actually want to do bigger and bigger events. However, we're not quite at the size where we can compete against some of these larger companies that are across the globe. And so I think that's why the focus one has come about, because I've been so narrowly focused on what I really want to see us do in 19, and I'm trying to do everything in my power to kind of shift us as a team to um, basically put us in front of those opportunities. And I do think it's interesting to see what analytical and command, um, what those personas are, because that is essentially what I go about because I'm constantly evaluating, okay, how's each of the team members running? How are they, how are they working together? And what can I fix and tweak to actually, again, put us in the opportunity to be able to actually close the piece of business I want us to close for 2019. 
And, uh, and then for the in- individualization, um, I do recognize we have a very diverse team. Even though we hire on the same principles, meaning I definitely have a strong uh, liking towards achievers, but every person on our team really does have a different set of skill sets. And so I try to maximize it for us and for our benefit. Yeah, you know, out of, we met over a year ago, and one of the impressions that I got out of after working with your team was the overwhelming amount of high performance that your team can deliver. Wow. And, and, I, and I noticed how you lead from that execution realm. Matter of fact, you're one of my poster children, so to speak. When I think of <laughs> a leader in the executing domain, you, Cindy Lowe comes to mind because oh, you get things done. And it's incredible, the response time, the attention to detail. Uh, there's just so much that goes into it. And that's really why I wanted to have you on because after reading your book, and hearing about your early days of entering into the event industry, I recognized very quickly how much the current organization reflects your strengths and reflects your style and reflects your attention to detail and your high response responsiveness and you know your expectation of doing things with incredibly high quality as well as you know analyzing everything (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that's why i really wanted you to be on this podcast because i think it's just you could teach us a lot about what it means to be a world-class execution uh, leader. So thank you for giving us a little bit of, uh, of context around your, your top five. Now, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You lead with from, like I just said, you lead from that executing realm. And recently I read a blog post on your website that was entitled, I'm not too busy. And it, it caught my eye. I clicked on it, went and read it, and I would love for you to unpack that statement for us that I'm not too busy because I think a lot of people with achiever, and even though achiever's not in your top five, mm-hmm. I think we can agree that you are an achiever through and through. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, I think they need to hear this perspective because many times they may feel guilty about their desire yeah. to achieve, and then I think yeah. sometimes a culture. As a culture, we might even shame people who have a strong desire uh, to have a full calendar or, or to yearn yeah. for a full calendar. And, and perhaps we even need some permission. So will you unpack that I'm not too busy uh, statement? So a lot of times I'll get these comments or maybe an email and someone says, hey, I know you're busy, but can you do this? You know, And I always was like, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And the way I just, you know, choose to organize my day I hope, guys, it's not scaring people off because for a while I was starting to think maybe they think because I'm too busy they can't approach us to, for even to bid on an event. So partly this blog post was uh, driven by the fact that I wanted to kind of correct the perception that even though I like to fill my calendar, that doesn't mean we're too busy to take on new events. And, and then second is I get a lot of questions about how I manage my day and how I find balance and don't I feel burnt out? And so I actually did do kind of like an internal look at myself. And I realized a couple years ago, actually, that I really do enjoy being busy. And, and, and then I'm not just saying like busy as in just doing anything. I mean, I really enjoy trying to learn and figure out how I want to take our company to the next level. I really do enjoy meeting our clients and hearing what their problems are and can a live event help them out. I really do enjoy sitting down with our team and figuring out, okay, so this kind of came up. So how do we put out this, what we call fires, event fires, you know, Mm -hmm. before the client realizes what has happened. And because after all, we're supposed to make it stress-free planning. And so I actually really do enjoy all that. So I wanted to correct that perception that even though I love to live a very full calendar and love to live a full life, that doesn't mean I'm too busy to still catch up with my friends. It's all about what I want to prioritize. And in fact, I actually do block off my calendars so that I have time to spend with my friends. I have time to spend with my family. I have time to spend at the office. And yes, some people think it might be a bit overkill because that means I'm almost scheduling everything. But I actually, and this is, again, going back to that achiever side of me, I feel the most productive when I can 
look at my calendar and see that I have had that balance of being able to do everything that I want to do and not feel like I was not productive. I think my fear that, yeah, I think that what drives this is my fear of being bored and not being productive for society. And so that's what allows me to, you know, feel okay. I never, and when I do get those moments, those moments where I feel like, okay, I am overwhelmed, then I remind myself, I have a team. I need to delegate more. I need to figure out, and I try to look at the problem again. So why have I not delegated this item or, or am I trying to be unrealistic with the timeline and take on a little too much? And then I start saying no to certain things. So that's how I personally find the balance of of making my schedule work for me, you know. And so I always tell people, don't just say that and start with that. Ask me, and then I will always be honest with you if whether or not I can make that time. Because if I really can't, if I if I push it off to the point where I'm not even scheduling it, then you should yeah take the hint that I'm not interested. But I'm usually pretty blunt <laughs> with you people are. if I'm not interested. I don't I don't beat around the bush. I would tell them why I'm not interested, and then explain to them that that probably doesn't make sense for us to meet because we, I don't see us buying that you know service or that product you know for our, our clients etc. So that they're not being hopeful because I'm a salesperson myself and I don't want someone to be holding out for that meeting thinking, oh my gosh, I can finally land an, an account with Red Velvet Events. That's not my intention at all. Right. So. You know, as you say all that, I can see in my own experience in interacting with you over the last year or so, um, how you do make yourself very available. And it's by really redeeming time when you can to do, get the things done you yeah. want like for instance and I'll probably refer to this later on because I was planning on talking about this story but it makes sense right now to me that one time you were driving to Houston this is after I had worked with your team at a team session and I had talked to you about an admiration of what you've built because after I spent three hours with your team I thought oh my gosh, the future is bright at Red Velvet Events. <laughs> That's what I thought. You know, my, the maxer in me, <laughs> the maximizer in me was loving what I had seen over that three-hour event with you. And so you said, you know, I, I would love to talk to you if you want, if you have an hour, or, you know, like, let's talk. I'm driving to Houston and you gave me an hour of your time and I took four pages of notes. Um, and it was just about, you know, <laughs> starting my own business. I genuinely wanted to, you know, what, what I found interesting was I could remember myself in your shoes. I mean, I know different types mm -hmm. of businesses, but I could remember myself when I was at that stage of my business and I wish people had kind of guided me, you know, better. Now, there were definitely some people that guided me, but I wish I had been told again more of like what to expect because I think I could have gotten here where we are today faster if other people had guided me faster, you know? Right. Absolutely. And so that's why I was so willing to help. And yeah, and, and because I was like driving to Houston, what else am I going to do? I, I, I love to be productive and I'd rather, I'd rather <laughs> be able to help someone out than just sit there listening to the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really cool thing that you do for other people. So thanks for doing that for me too. You know, um, one of the things anyone will, if they follow your Instagram account, if they check you out on Facebook, they're going to see the RVE motto, out plan, out play, yeah. out party. Tell me, yeah. that to me is like a perfect competition quote. <laughs> Tell me, <laughs> what was the genesis of that motto and what's the story of it? So I wish I could take credit that I came up with it, but believe it or not, my husband came up with that tagline. So it's funny, we were throwing out words, you know, at, because, so it was, it did start as, okay, I want a tagline. Because again, I was a visionary. I go, I really wanted something. And call me old school in this case, but I was like, when they see the name, I want to have a tagline that will always go with our events. And my husband and I were just sitting there throwing words out against the you know, wall, seeing what stick. And do you, do you know the old reality TV show Survivor? Yes. And Outlast, right? It. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he was watching and he goes, Hey, have you ever thought about putting just out in front of your, um, your the words? Because I did have I the words that kept resonating was plan and play. Because I go, I love the fact that I love to make events not only productive and efficient but also fun. So he goes, why not put an out in front of it? And I go, what? And he goes, yes, like out plan, out play, and then and then I go, oh wait, and then like out party. And he goes, exactly. And I was like. Oh my gosh, that's it. That's amazing. <laughs> so we made so we made up our own word and we stuck to it. 
And, so, and yeah, I love it. I, I love it. I trademarked it. And, um, and that's why I said my husband gets me because he knew what I was trying to go for. But I just was stuck. And at that time, I was a team of one. And I had no one really to bounce ideas off of other than him. And, and he just was like, I, I can see that as being, you know, you. And I was like, yes, this is it. Oh, <laughs> and we have golden. now, we built a, yeah, we built a building around that. And so there's just a lot now around that tagline, so, so, which is great. You built a building around it? Well, I've seen your Instagram page. Well, I haven't visited when we your design, building. Yeah, so if, you've, if, if you're, next time you're in Austin, please do come by and visit. Uh, we moved in in June of this year. And little touches of the building aspect, we touch to all those words. So the party aspect, we make sure that there's some fun aspects of the office. Like, for example, we have swings. Actually, you could say that's also play. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have swings in the the reception area. So when you come in, you can swing while you're waiting for your your guest. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, I was in the Google office in, in Austin last week, and they had a swing in there. I bet they got it from you. I think. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's other people. Well, what's funny is we, I, when I was designing the uh, building with my architect, I just, you know, was trying to give him ideas and examples of what we normally do for events. Mm-hmm. And that's where he kind of took and ran with it. And he did a fantastic job of interpreting it in our office, oh. um, understanding how I thought and how, how, you know, events happen. So um, I have to give him credit where it's deserved because he knew what I was trying to go for and uh, I'm so appreciative of that. Oh, well, I got to see the YouTube video of your uh, revealing party of your office, I guess the opening party, yes. and it looked amazing. Yes. I will stop by next Thanks. time in Austin. <laughs> you know, outplan, outplay, outparty is a total achiever competition. I mean, I think it's also an achiever <laughs> quote, because now that I think about it, yeah. do you think that your staff feels the desire or the expectation to keep planning bigger than they did last year? For instance, do you feel like your staff feels, how are we going to be even more, like how do we outplan ourselves of where we were maybe I even a year or two ago? I because of how I, how, of how I reward and also how I drive and how, and how I share openly with them my desires. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, this is awesome. I love what we did here. I cannot wait to see what we out, what, what we do next year for the same client, you know? So I think they do feel it. Now, of course, that obviously adds some pressure, so that's always one of the things we talk through because I still remind them, I go, remember, we're in a very fun industry, and I want you to naturally enjoy it. If this stresses you out, it may be something to, again, take a step back and reevaluate, you know, are you at the right company, or are you even in the right industry? And that's, that's where I always want them to, to, to look at themselves, you know, and, and analyze it from that point of view because we are in a very stressful job. In fact, they, they released a was it Newsweek or U.S. News and World Report again? We were number five in the most stressful job behind, mind you, first responders, okay? People that wow. really do save lives. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy that we were uh, number five as the most stressful job. <sighs> and uh, I, I mean, I love it. I, I, I know that I can't always control everything, but I really do love what I do. Well, one thing I've learned from you guys at uh, Red Velvet Events is that party planning really is problem solving isn't it? Oh, I totally think so. It's, it's finding out what exactly are we trying to sell or do or convince whoever's attending the event. So let's say it's like an internal holiday party. Maybe they just finished had a merger and acquisition. Maybe it's about to get uh, making sure that both companies feel like one again. You know, mm-hmm. There's always a motivation behind having an event. And then and so the detail of it, what, right? How, yeah, like, how do you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the story of in your book about the margarita glasses crashing, oh, a pyramid gosh, of margarita awful. glasses crashing to the floor as guests are walking in. Like, what do you do about <laughs> That's yeah, a restorative That was the need. most embarrassing thing ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, get, you guys have to go read that book to... <laughs> to hear the full yeah. story of that but that sounded kind of like a maximizer's nightmare but you're restorative you know <laughs> figure out how to fix it and keep figure moving. it out how, yep keep exactly. on moving the, the party exactly. will go on and I, i'm sorry I, I probably imagine in your industry you're definitely more than a party planner you're an event planner i'm just not yeah in the industry, and so i'd I love to always tell people we're a creative events agency because we like to think of it as full service and strategic Okay. So those are those are usually the keywords I use with folks. It is a little hard because here's why. We've got a lot of terms for our industry and it's not standardized across the board. So depending on who we're talking with and if they've ever even worked with an agency, they may not even understand what that term means, you know? 
because to them, they may be saying, no, I'm looking for a party planner, but they don't realize, no, actually, you're looking more for an event strategist or an event agency. So it is, it is a fascinating, like, that's what I'm looking at as a challenge right now. I'm personally trying to, one step at a time, help the industry kind of move into the direction where it's clearly defining the different levels because there are different purposes for different types of planners. And if once you recognize what you need from there, then you can you can execute uh, even more strategically. So, for example, an internal holiday party honestly could handle a, either a party planner or an event agency. But if you need an over-the-top production where it really is thinking about the everything from the taste, the smell, the, the, the flow, the directional signage, everything, you really want an agency. A party planner is only going to be worried about a few things, whereas an agency is going to worry about the whole experience. Wow. And to think about how you are helping upgrade the industry or, or helping the, the industry even understand I'm trying, itself. I'm trying. And you <laughs> we'll didn't see. even come from within the industry. That's the thing. You I have know. a tech background. <laughs> <laughs> and, I know, but I think that's actually what makes me not jaded. Right. Absolutely. Well, it it's definitely applying your other talents and skills that you acquired and 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 your hard wiring, right? Your analytical hard wiring, your focus and the way that you see the world through your the lens of your strengths that's really going to bring value to the entire industry. You know, and I I knew this about you when we worked together that you're you were a spreadsheet kind of a junkie. Oh, yes. I'm a junkie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you have that. analytical number two, although that doesn't really matter where it is in your top five, but it, it's a strong dominant theme. And I'm a yeah. non-analytical owner, so I can't help but be a little bit fascinated and admiring <laughs> your data measurement skills. In total honesty, Cindy, as a business owner, I don't measure much outside of what my accountant requires me to. So <laughs> I want you to tell us, there's a little bit of it in your book, uh, but tell us, you know, what has your super analytical strengths, what has it done for your business or how has it shaped your business where you began measuring things and then it really shifted things for you? Well, once I realized when someone kept asking me on my, it was my CEO board, and they said, well, what do you want to take home? And as in what kind of profits? Mm-hmm. Once I was able to articulate that, I was actually able to analyze our existing numbers and see what was missing and what the gap was. So that's actually how we profit plan or budget plan every year. Knowing what I want to achieve in the following year, knowing what our current expenses are, knowing what what we want to do, where does that land us? Is it realistic? And then also seeing our forecast, what you know, how far are we from achieving this goal? Is it normal? Is it, it you know, can we relax or can we, or are we going to have to stay uber focused and 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 get it and get it done and get close to more business? And once all that is clear, oh my gosh, you you have a, a basically a written uh, business plan for the year. And so that's why I love the numbers and the data crunching and all that stuff because it helps me know sitting from where I am right now today, how much of 2019 I need to worry about or should I be already focused on 2020? Wow. So is it's there... worth it though. I, I promise you it's worth it. <laughs> okay. Well, this, you know, for someone like me who doesn't have a strong talent in analytical, you know, I don't then have a lot of, in, yeah, I need a partner. With that. Right. I need yeah. to go find a partner. Need, it can even be a, a, a consulting partner. It doesn't have to be necessarily the partner, like the definition of someone that owns part of your business, but just someone that can help you analyze it and show you the ways. And now we've even empowered our financial uh, specialist in-house to review our own numbers and give me her top three analysis of the data versus me just looking at it. Because that was something that you owned as the original founder. You sort of owned that job and now you have, uh, you're starting to delegate that to someone else who has another talent in that area? Correct. Correct. Cool. And also getting another point of view because I don't want to be it's funny because if you tell yourself certain things, you know, you're going to believe it. And I wanted another point of view. And so I was like, well, why, why don't we actually get her to tell me what, what she sees from her, her lens and see if it matches up to what I see. Mm. You know, I just realized we haven't even talked about the size of your organization. Uh, how many employees do you have now? We currently have 25 full-time, and we have another one starting in January, so it'll be at 26 probably by the time this podcast releases. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And how long ago did Red Red Velvet Events 
become official? We, yeah, so let's tell a quick high-level timeline. Mm-hmm. We are technically 16 years old as of this October. Okay. However, the first three years, it was not a real business. It was me trying to figure things out. I wasn't making any money. Any money I did make, I put it back into the business. I wasn't paying myself. Um, I had no employees. I did have part-time help, but again, it was money in, money out. So there was really just a whole learning curve those first three years. Mm -hmm. Then because I got pregnant with my daughter, it was imperative because my husband goes, look, there's two things you can do. You can fold the business or you can hire someone because there's no way you can run the business that you're currently trying to run with a newborn. He goes, it's just not realistic and you need a, and you need more help anyways because you can't keep with the part-time staff because the size of the events I was always already trying to tackle on at that stage was already bigger than when I first started. So he could see the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. And so I did hire my first full-time person. And then because she was amazing, oh my gosh, we ended up closing even more deals. So we ended up having to hire another almost three to four more before she left because she, she ended up moving to another city. So we had a massive amount of growth right then and there. And that's the amazing part of, again, bringing on another additional help to do stuff with mm-hmm. you. And I, I had no intention. I thought, oh, we'll just be happy and do our little thing with just two people, and then I'll just fill it in, fill in the gaps with you know part-time help. And no, we had closed immediately. New business, new business, new business. So I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to hire. We need to hire. So then we quickly were expanding. And, um, and that was like one of my struggling points where we kept growing, but at the same time I was mishiring. So we were kind of going back and forth a lot on sizes because I'd hire – have someone on board, but then we we end up parting ways, and then we were we were kind of stuck in the middle of ground for a little bit. Yeah, I so it was not an overnight success. Well, <laughs> I loved that part of your story because I'm still in my first five or six years of business on my own, and um, getting to hear some of the um, learning opportunities that you had in the first in the early years really resonated with me uh, in reading your book, and so it, it really meant a lot and helped me kind of put what I'm going through um, into perspective. Hey, before we leave analytical, I was just wondering, I would love to know, do you measure anything that the rest of us average Mm -hmm. non-analytical people might think is a little bit over the top? Okay, so this one you think, you're probably going to think it, well, I don't know if it's over the top because once I explain why, I think hopefully most listeners will be like, oh, that makes sense. So we do measure how many toilet papers we go through in this office. (laughs) Um, and the reason why is because of budget. And I was actually, at one point, we thought our first cleaning crew was actually stealing our toilet paper because I bought, I buy nice toilet paper. Uh-huh. Um, I prefer Charmin. Nice. And, uh, and so um, we noticed that they were replacing them with this, like, crappy paper, toilet paper. I was like, what's going on here? And, um, and sure enough, uh, we were analyzing because I, ha- I had um, – our receptionists keep a spreadsheet and one time the cleaning crew came in and they they she recorded that we had lost nine toilet papers in that one day and I go there's no way we went through nine rolls of toilet paper you know <laughs> in one day I love there's it there's no way <laughs> and so, you proved it you uh, know that's a perfect you know so, yeah. that's what analytical does that they prove it <laughs> so, so yeah so we yeah we parted ways with that cleaning crew brought in a new one and uh and now I'm back to my my, uh, yeah, my uh, toilet paper uh, <laughs> that I like. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, t- for sharing that, <laughs> that with us. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I took away from you also, and I really expected to see Activator somewhere. I think it is in your top top strengths. Let me see if it's in my top 10. Is yeah. it in top 10 or something? Oh, it's number seven for you. It's number seven number now. Seven. Yeah. You know, when yeah. we, t- we spoke on the phone, you left a huge impression on me about experimentation. Now, I'm oh, not yeah. an activator. My strategic input learner really loves to research and, you know, get a plan 80% there. My maximizer sometimes will throw out a plan because I think, uh, it's not going to be good enough. I'm not even going to get started. And so, um, your mindset about experimentation has really influenced me, Cindy. And did you know that you mentioned experiment, the word experiment, 18 times in your book? 
I did not until you told me that. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> did, how, did you use like how did you? Know okay, that? so did I read you your book on a Kindle. You... No, I read it on the oh, Kindle, and like you can search okay. for. Now that um, is cool. Yeah, and because I wonder, okay, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look it up on mine because I have a Kindle reader, mm-hmm. and I'll have to see it because it is funny. Several people were like, "What do you think is the uh, the common word that you like to use a lot?" And and I was like, besides uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh and so. Um, but I do tend to, everyone has commented before that I, I always say I like to experiment or gamble. And I go, I, I think experiment is a better word than gamble because I don't want you to feel like it's a risk. It's a calculated risk. And that's why I do it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, your your analytical will not just ignore data, right? I get the calculated yeah. risk part. And I think the let's experiment means like, let's get get started. Let's activate. Let's activate. And you yeah. rubbed off on me in our one hour conversation like, on your drive to Houston. <laughs> and I, I want you just to tell me a little bit about what it means to experiment to you. But um, you empowered me and I tried a couple of things uh, in the next And how did it year. work out? Oh, some of them worked out really well. And things that I wanted to keep going, like, for instance, selling co- coaching packages uh, on a quarterly basis, like you could purchase Perfect. coaching for one year, and we would touch base once a quarter. I love that model. I'm keeping it. Perfect. Um, the other one that didn't work out for me was, um, well, it did, but it exhausted me. So it was out of my strength suit is that mm-hmm. I, I did an open enrollment strength-based managers class and I sent a, an email to all of my current clients and said hey do you have a, a maybe a newly joined manager to the team or, or you're wanting to promote someone who's a um, emerging leader and you want to send them to a strength-based management class and it it filled out I had about 15 people it, but I had wow. to I had to find the space and I had to do uh, I, I just had to yeah. do a lot of stuff that normally whenever I come into an organization they've already found the space like it was event planning Cindy like, yeah I am, no it was event exactly. planning yeah, that's, that's, sort of wears yeah. me out <laughs> <laughs> I just want to show up and do the Kathy Kirsten strengths show yeah no absolutely know? I I totally get that no I totally get that so I didn't <laughs> repeat it it was it was a success, but it drained me, so to speak. So it's not really I, I, in my strength yeah. zone. But I, I wouldn't have even tried those ideas without some of that little bit of spark you gave me. That's like, cool. just try it. Like, get out there and experience. Yeah. And you, I'll have to. I meant to tell you about the out plan, out play, out party. You also gave me a great little insight about wearing my maximizer shirt, and you said you should do that because I wore, I yes. made that maximizer shirt for your training session, and I wore it because you guys were so yeah. cool. Like, I wanted yeah. to. Be cool and hip and a little bit like fun and funky <laughs> and I was like I think these people would be like think that I was a total strength geek and I would love it you know at, at Red Velvet events if I wore a Maximizer t-shirt we did and yeah, you said you should do that all the time and so I started doing it yep. more often anyway so that stuck that too great <laughs> but tell me just hey a, I, I think that I think ahead. it works because remember people remember you for uh, something quirky in fact let me share one other fun tidbit that I just uh and maybe you already do this, but someone had reminded me of it two weeks ago, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go do that too. So how does your LinkedIn profile read? Does it read like all serious business? Yes. Or does it have a little bit of fun, quirky? Okay. So maybe here's where you can either do your fun, quirky part. You can either say, I'm a, I'm a full maximizer, um, or uh, like, for example, mine, because I have my little handbag fetish thing, I actually wrote that I go, I have a weakness for handbags, and my current favorite one is a is a fluffy unicorn one because I bought uh, the backpack from Minion and I love it and um but the funny part is yesterday they were introducing me to speak and they brought up the funny thing off my LinkedIn profile oh so, so it made you memorable clearly, exactly and so clearly and then people came up afterwards like I have to hear more about what's this fluffy unicorn and so that's what people remembered. I mean, yes, of course, I, I, mean, I gave my talk on, on, on hopefully, you know, motivating them to stay in school and go, you know, and, and, and be entrepreneurial. But, but of course, I got more questions about the unicorn backpack. <laughs> well, it's just a sign of the times. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> well, tell me, how do you, um, how do you yeah. uh, institutionalize experimentation? I mean, I think about you know, leaders like you who have Activator and you value people experimenting, but that also means that people are going to take some risks and they're not all going to, they're not all going to pan out. How do you empower your 25 people there at RVE to experiment? So for the team, I always remind them, I go, what's the worst that could happen if we, if we don't try this is that we might end up doing something either very boring 
or we may be just safe. And I go, and nothing that has won big awards has ever been safe. Think about that. And because a lot of these folks do have an achiever mindset they and also competitive, they want to win that award. So I always try to remind them, let's just try at least one idea that is not the normal cookie-cutter idea. Of course, we have to get the client's approval. We can't just do it without their permission. But let's not be afraid to push the envelope just a little bit. As far as myself, how I usually am, am putting myself in that mindset, it, it typically does start with because I have a problem and I'm trying to fix it, but I'm not I'm personally not sure what what I need to do to fix it. So that's why I call it an experimentation. I think I'm asking myself or I'm thinking to myself, maybe if I do this XYZ task and let me try it for a month or two and see if I can change the trajectory of the business and if it does then this means I can repeat it. And so that's why I allow myself to experiment. And that's why I said earlier, I, I sometimes go back and forth on using the word experiment versus gamble. But um, I like experiment better. It's a more positive term than gamble because gamble, you hear, all you hear is losing. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> what, do, do you have a classic example you could share with us? It, was, it started out as an experiment and it, it, hit, it hit it and, and you keep it. On, like it's one that I, yeah no absolutely it's one that I shared in the book because I was not um, again planning to change our pricing model that was never our, my intention I wanted I wanted to do the pricing the way I thought that people needed it to see and everyone had 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 got, coached me and guided me and said oh my gosh you're leaving money on the table you're leaving money on the table you need to change this Cindy and so I said okay you know what I'm going to experiment and try this different methodology that y'all keep telling me I should try. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, not only did it, the clients not, you know, even blink an eye, but it did change the trajectory of our business. So I wish I had experimented a lot sooner because then maybe we would again be here a lot sooner than 16 years. Wow. That was a really important part in my, when I was reading the book, an important part that I took notes at too is around pricing structure because it is difficult. Uh, that's it a difficult... is very difficult. And, you, and, and you're never going to, you're never going to be the, the solution for everyone and you have to recognize that up front and not be upset with that. Right. And once I, I came to that realization, then I was like, okay, then what do I need to do to price again to get to my end goal that I have defined as, you know, success for this year? And so that's how, how we go about it now. Now I'm thinking about your individualization. So I'm, yeah. I'm sort of jumping here, but I kind of think what you said about clients and it led me to believe like you've got a large network or it led me to think about you've got a huge network mm-hmm. and you talk about in the book how important networking is. How oh, does your huge. individualization yeah. play into that? How do you remember people and you've got connections all over the world? I try, one, to figure out what it is that we both have, obviously, mutually in common, just like they always teach you in Sales 101. Right. But the other big thing is, is genuinely, do you have a genuine interest in their well-being? So if I find that I've connected with someone, like for you, example, Kathy, I love the fact that you started this, your own business out, out, you know, after you left your corporate job. And so my take on that was, oh, wow, I think this is going to go very well. She just has to stay focused and she has to be able to take care of it and, and get through what I call the um, valley of death years. And what I mean by valley of death is that you're, you're in the weeds. And until you can get all your processes in place, your client base kind of leveled out, you're going to continue to be in that valley of death climbing up to the top before you can kind of peak and then it kind of goes smooth sailing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and so those are the things as I try to figure out like, okay, how can I connect with this person? What can I do to help them? Um, and, and then, of course, hopefully in the long run, they'll remember me. And then they, of course, with that, then they'll remember Red Velvet Defense because that's how we've been selling. We've been very fortunate to not have to advertise in our 16-year history. And I'm being pretty stubborn right now and seeing how long that will last. Um, I may have to finally cave just because, again, to compete in the bigger agency world, uh, a lot of them advertise. But I don't want to just advertise in like a magazine because I feel like it has that to me has no value. It needs to be something that really resonates a message with, with the folks because we are such a people business. You wrote your book for those who are in mm-hmm. the valley of death, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Ding, ding, ding. I just had that little like spark yes. of a moment. Like it all just came together because for me. Because then you can get me. out of it. 
And That's I took great. that term from another book I read. It was, I cannot, now I'm um, embarrassed. I can't remember the name of the book, but it's a business book. And they talk about four phases of your business life. Oh, that's And cool. valley death is the very first phase. And I, right now I'm in the growth phase. So, yeah. Well, Sydney, can we talk about your team for a minute? Like, um, Absolutely. I love them. <laughs> and I can tell if you want to get a feel of Cindy's culture or, or the RVE culture, it's not just about Cindy. It's a whole team of people creating that culture. Uh, they really give us insight through their Instagram account. I love watching your employees uh, do the things that they get to do on their birthdays and their anniversaries and the bobbleheads and all the fun stuff. You know, the employee engagement guru in me loves seeing the way that you recognize your employees but uh that uh, we can talk about that later but I, what i want to talk about is you know you invested in strengths finder for the entire staff what made you do that were you trying to solve a problem or was it just a an idealistic way of like adding into some professional development for the group no we were trying to solve a problem so it's funny you because i recognize that every individual has different strengths however um we had originally done um the color test we did that and to explain to people, like, if you're red, this is how you work with people. This is how, you know, and I felt like it didn't quite match and meet the needs I was wanting for the team. So someone had introduced me, turned me on to strength finders. They go, have you ever heard of strength finders and, the, and what the test is? And I said, no, I've only heard, you know, I knew of Myers-Briggs and I knew about this color one. Mm-hmm. And, and they go, well, you should check out strength finders. So we actually had administered the test first. And I did like what I saw. I liked, I loved the thing, but I was like, okay, now what do I do with it? And that's when Sarah found me you because I, I was like, okay, now I have this, but I, I don't know how I can explain to the team what this means. And, and so that's why we brought you into our all hands meeting because okay. a lot of them really enjoyed learning what they are really good at, but they didn't know how to utilize it. And we were trying to help them understand how this can help them work better, not only in, internally, but also their clients. So even though we may not know what our client strength finder, you know, top five are, we can at least identify and go, because this is how I work, let's figure out how I need to best work so I can make my client successful. Before we went in and did your team workshop, I knew because I had everyone's strengths, I knew that the collective strength of the team was achiever and restorative. So I expected to see a bunch of super efficient problem solvers. You know? yeah. <laughs> However, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after spending a couple of hours with your team and then the multiple interactions I've had since, I'm overwhelmed by the high performance culture at RVE of solving problems quickly and the dynamic energy of the staff and the unbelievable fast response times, the warm handoffs of every transaction. I mean, every little detail is covered and it leaves an amazing impression that you guys know what you're doing. You're on top of it at all times. And, you know, I know that from reading the book, that's how you started the business. So that's carried through. Yeah. But how do you keep that? Because you can't force people. I know. You're, people, I know. You can't. No, you can't. Well, I, I remember I had that chapter in my book where I said, hire slow, fire fast. Yes. So when we find that someone isn't quite living up to that culture, uh, we do usually have a chat because I explain to them why it's so important because it is not only the reputation of the company, but it's also even their reputation because we want everyone that comes through our doors to be successful and do well and, and to be able to thrive where even if, you know, many years after, after they leave RVE. And so all of that kind of has to roll into one and make sense. Um, so in many ways, our interview process is probably what kind of got them, and that's why everyone you meet already has some natural tendencies to be in that area. Now, we do do a lot of training and we also do a lot of coaching behind the scenes and reminding them of what what makes us different than our competitors and also what makes us what makes the client want to come back and continue to work with us so that's why it is always interesting when i have a maybe a disgruntled client i i'm always fascinated because i usually have a pretty good idea already of where the team members are even though i may not be their direct manager I know where they are, and so when a client does have a complaint about something, it's not to say they aren't right. It's just that I'm usually a little surprised if it has to do with um, something that I couldn't spot, you know, in their personality, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because of the fact that we spend so much time making sure that the team knows that we're all in this together. There is no um, embarrassment, in other words, if they make a mistake, in other, and if they do make a mistake, 
we're all there to help kind of help rise above it so that we can get them out of it so that because again it affects all of us it's not just one person i never wanted the team to feel like they're in a silo and they have to almost kind of go fight their own battle that was very important to me that everyone knew that if um uh, amanda's event is in jeopardy then it affects everyone even though that's amanda's event so they rally around each other i mean that's the culture is to rally around the person who needs help and to jump in if needed and help them then correct and the same goes from a manager to their their team members as well. I mean, that's why I, I ended up, I think it's the second to last chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote about all that because we had a point where we actually didn't have that culture and it was bothering me and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I, I realized that it was actually being driven from the management team. And when one manager doesn't match up to all the other managers, it will break the team apart. And so that was where I, I vowed to myself, if I ever see that happen again in the future, I have to cut it off much quicker than I than I did this last time. Yeah. I think we share a little bit of similar experiences whenever I was working at Rackspace and there was a strong employee culture, just like your culture, a strong employee mm-hmm. employee culture. The larger the the culture becomes and the more transparent you are with yeah. communicating what the culture is. People, mm-hmm. it, it many times attracts people to come want to come work there. But at the same time, I think it also educates them that if you don't fit here, you it will be like organ rejection. I remember Lanham Napier, the CEO of Rackspace, for a long time. We were hiring for my boss. Who was <laughs> I've the never senior. heard it that way. That is yes. a very interesting way. Organ <laughs> rejection. I like. I'm gonna have to think. Of, I'm gonna have to remember that one. <laughs> yes, he said one time we were we were hiring for the senior VP of HR, and he, that person was gonna be my boss. So I was part of the hiring team, and. and uh, Lanham Napier, obviously the CEO, this person we'd be reporting to him, was also on the interview team. And we were talking about a candidate and he said, you know, I think they're our culture fit. And he even said it to their, he would say it to a candidate. He'd let them know that, mm-hmm. you know, you seem to me like a culture fit, but only yeah. you are going to know if you are. And if you're not, yeah. trust me, we're going to know pretty quickly because our culture yeah. is so strong that it's almost like organ rejection if you're not. So the culture will reject you. And I thought so it was fascinating. So that did happen here. Yeah, that did happen here. And that's what, and then it also unfortunately caused a lot of turnover because because they didn't think I was fa- fixing the, the problem fast enough. Yes. And uh, and it was it was it was awful because I I, I really look back and I, I regret it because it was almost like I was starting back from ground zero again. Yeah. And um and I was aware of the issue I but I thought I I could fix it and this is again probably back to my restorative <laughs> and uh, I really thought no I know what the problem is I just need a little bit of time I can fix this and it no next time I'm, I I need to be I need to be uh, much quicker. Well, hiring is such a tough. It's a tough thing, you know, you really are jumping in and getting married with very, very little dating <laughs> in, in yeah, advance. I don't no, know if that's totally. a good anag- analogy totally. or not, but uh, it's always a tough uh, thing to do. And but, you know, having languages like strengths can sometimes help. It, it isn't meaning that we have a recipe for strengths that fit every job by any means, but it definitely tells us how we like to do what we do. And, um, you know, it, it can be helpful in that process, but it, it, there's no secret sauce that is going to make it perf- 100% perfect all the time. You know, Cindy, you've been fantastic, and I don't want to keep too much more of your time. I want to ask you my last question, and um, <laughs> my podcast is called Obey Your Strengths. It's not play to your strengths, yeah. it's obey your strengths, because I th- feel like these are, uh, our strengths are so deeply connected to how we see the world and the things that we do in our lives. Has there ever been a moment where you had to obey your strength, where perhaps it was um, something that uh, if there was an internal dissonance, you felt as if it was um, just raging to be obeyed? Oh, you know, when I saw the question, I was like, what does she mean by that? And, uh, you know, it, this one's tough because I, oh, okay, let me back up. Let, because, so you remember how you, earlier you asked me, why do you think my um, my top five changed? Mm-hmm. And And I don't know, again, if it was because I knew what my top five were. And when I went into 2018, I probably let a little bit of that confidence go into, oh, I'm futuristic. I can see the future. I can make it, manage it. And I ended up spending a lot more time trying to figure out how to fix right now, you know, mm-hmm. what I wanted. I wanted that next big prize of an event. And, uh, but, but I, I don't feel like I obeyed it. Instead, <laughs> I think I let myself just know that I had it. And then I went on and to do other things. And, um, 
and and that and interesting to see that how it turned out that it it actually affected my te- my again test results when mm-hmm. I took the test again. I actually am going to try to take it again in another. So since I took it in June, I was going to try to actually take it again in, in next June just to see what would happen because I'm, I was fascinated. I mean, again, going back to the analytical side of me, I was fascinated that it changed. And when Sarah told me that someone else's had changed too, I was like, so this is actually great because that means they're evolving as a leader. Um, and so I'm okay with that. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, lots of people experience change. And what I always tell them, they ask me, what, why does it change? What's happened? Or I lost something out of my top five. And what I would say, just like your example, you, just because Achiever is not in your top five, it does not mean that it is every bit a part of you. Uh, it just means that you are exercising different muscles at this point or in this role Correct. at the time you took it. And so... Uh, don't feel like you lost anything, but I would say, yeah. you know, I bet, I bet that you you described it so perfectly about where you are spending your time and your strategy right now at this point in your business probably uh, affected this results for us to see focus, analytical command, restorative individualization, and where you are as a leader. I think that plays a lot into what is going to be your most dominant. But I think achiever for you is number six in this new order. <laughs> So it's mm-hmm. still it is. there. It's still there. <laughs> it is definitely still there. And it's something that I admire. I know that some coaches, strengths coaches, think it's silly to have strengths envy, that you might envy someone else's strengths, but I'm not, I don't fall in that bucket. I totally envy <laughs> <laughs> some people's achiever or some people's analytical and say, man, I wish I had that. And uh, I think it's really cool. So. Man, this it has is been funny really though fun. because um, <laughs> because we have been you know analyzing all of our um, internal employees and just how they're performing and how they're tracking accord, uh, accordingly to their career path. I did though tell Sarah when we are interviewing for some of the higher up positions, mm-hmm. I go, I actually do want achiever in their top five, so I would I would be willing to pay for their strength finders before we hire them, so that I can see. I realize it's not foolproof. But I would love to see where it falls because if it's in it's if it's number thirty four, it won't probably align well with me. <laughs> <laughs> they will be worn out. Actually, if they just six, I mean, if you gave them a um, a day in the life of an RVE person kind of idea of what would you would need to do every day, I think it would probably wear them out. If their achiever was low, because my goodness, <laughs> you folks are on top of it. <laughs> I think that someone in RVE gets more done by 9 a.m. than I might get done in three days. (laughs) Oh Well, I'm a huge fan of you and your business, and I wish you the best of luck. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on our podcast today. And I can't wait to watch all the success you'll have in 2019. Thank you so much, Cassie, for having me on. It was fun. Obey Your Strengths is produced by Geek Day Media in association with Game Day Media Enterprises. Executive produced by Lorenzo Gomez, John Garcia, and Michael Largent. To learn more about Kathy Kirsten, visit her website, kathykirsten.com. That's K-A-T-H-Y-K-E-R-S-T-E-N.com.